Um, hey, so I'm, uh, I'm glad to be worshiping with all of you. If you're new and visiting with us, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I am uh, one of the pastors. I'd love a chance to get to meet you and talk to you after service. And um, basically, this morning, what we're going to do is we're just going to jump into opening the Word of God together. So if you have your Bibles, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 is where we're headed. 2 Corinthians 4, this Sunday and the next two Sundays. And, um, and here's, what, here's what leads us there. Um, we were going to move on from our Family on Mission series, so we laid out our exciting mission statement and our really beautiful values. And so we talked about, like, um, we are, our mission is we are seeking to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. And so we laid that out, and I'm so excited about it. Couldn't be more excited about it. I've had so many great conversations with all of you about what that looks like. Um, and then our three values as we do that. We're trying to be a people that are shaped by the gospel in everything. Uh, we are trying to foster a culture of love and invitation. And we are each seeking to use our gifts as God empowers. And so that's all like exciting. And we were going to kind of lay that out and talk about it. And this is what that looks like. And then move on into um, some other aspects of scripture. Um, but what, what we kept feeling is, um, man, it's been like hard. Like life has been really hard. And I feel like stepping from that and saying, hey, here's our mission, let's go do it, and then um, not acknowledging the fact that we're calling us towards momentum and direction and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, we're all just feeling like burdened and heavy and frustrated, and I'm seeing it in ways, it's like we've all been sort of traumatized as a society for the last like 18 months um, in ways that we don't understand, and it's just coming out, and we're irritable, and we're exhausted, and it feels to me like um, i probably most of you have this experience. It feels like trying to swim with your clothes on, you know, like somebody shoves you into the pool and you're trying to, and it's like, you can do it. You can make progress. You can get to the side, but man, it's a lot harder when you're wearing all these clothes that are weighing you down. That's what it feels like to try to do anything in life right now. And, um, and regardless about like where your specific beliefs lie regarding whatever, you name it, right? Whatever that is, I think we all are just like hurting and frustrated. And so 2 Corinthians 4 is this way of taking the next few weeks to just lean into a chapter of scripture where I think Paul is talking about exactly this. Like Paul is sitting here talking to this group of people in Corinth and he's saying, we have this God-given ministry, this beautiful thing that we're seeking here, sitting here trying to pursue. And yet, man, we are so broken. We're so tired. We're totally hurting. And yet the Lord is going to sustain us in the midst of that. And so what I want to do is invite us to, um, in this chapter, this week, in the next two weeks, just to sit in that a little bit and say, okay, we, we're all just agreeing. We've got a great mission that we're on together. We've got great values we're trying to embody as we do that. Um, but what does it look like when we're all so hurting and we're all so exhausted and we're all so frustrated? What does it look like for us um, to dig into that? And so I'm going um, to put uh, the, a, a few verses on the screen as we go there. I hope, that's, hope you guys can see that okay. Um, <laughs> grab your sun, bring your sunglasses next week, okay? <clears throat> um, so here we go. Let's read verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. So let's just stop there and consider. He's setting up this whole passage. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercies of God, we do not lose heart. So Paul's right off the bat saying, he's, he's saying, okay, we have this, we've received this ministry by the mercy of God. Now, I don't know how the word ministry strikes you. As a, as a pastor, I'm like tuned into like ministry. That's what I do. That's my job. I don't know if you feel the same way, like, oh, ministry, that's what Mark and other people do. Um, we're just like church people. But 
at Creekside in, in the New Testament, what ministry is, it's something that we all do, okay? It is not my job to be the minister, right? Um, I'm just here as part of this family, and I'm trying to use my gifts just as we're all trying to use our gifts. Ministry is something that we do together. There's this mission we're pursuing, and we're trying to serve the Lord by serving the people that are around us. It's this ministry that we're all fulfilling. And so he's saying, okay, what, like, who does that ministry belong to? Because we've just laid out Here's our mission. This is where we're headed. We're going we're gonna to glorify God by finding life in Jesus together, and we're going to invite other people to do the same. That's our mission. I'm excited about it. But whose mission is it, right? Is it our, did we just come up with the most clever mission statement in the history of churches? Probably, right? But, but it's not ours, right? It doesn't belong to us. This is, Paul's saying, the ministry we've been given, it came to us by the mercy of God. Who is it that has a mission in this world? Who is it that's trying to work and, and transform and bring all this like healing and hope and life and change into the world? Ultimately, it's God. And Paul's saying that God like graciously reaches down to us, not putting a burden on our shoulders and saying, okay, slaves, do this now. I've got you for the rest of your life. Get down there and get busy. He's saying, no, by the mercy of God, we've received this ministry. And so this call to find life in Jesus together, I hope, that, I hope that even sounds like restful and merciful to you, does it not? To find that life in Jesus, it's less about whip our backs and let's get moving. It's saying, this is a merciful thing. Treat it like a merciful gift from the Lord. And what happens when we see it that way, what happens when we see it that way is that it keeps us from losing heart. And that's what Paul says. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. Because it's God's mission, Right? It's God's ministry. He's given it to us, but we don't need to lose heart. Even though I think there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged, to be disillusioned, to kind of lose heart. So I don't know if you guys are like me and you see all the articles that come out all the time um, starting, I don't know, it feels like maybe five years ago. All the articles about how everybody hates church now. Nobody's interested in being around church. The younger generations want nothing to do with church life and with Christianity, and everybody's leaving, and everyone's disappearing, and so these articles are just coming out all the time, and they've gotten so much more during the pandemic, right? Or, or we get wrestle for ourselves, right? We have questions and doubts and things that we're processing, and so we have to kind of, um, there's this sense of like, man, we're losing our momentum, or we were going somewhere good, or everything was awesome, and now like, man, people are losing interest, and we get a little uh, uneasy. We get a little disillusioned. Some of it, honestly, even is like life transitions. So I turned 40 this week, okay? And so I'm going from like youth to like sudden old age. Like it's just like, boom, right there, you know? <clears throat> and so as, as we get older, it's like, man, life is a little less like hopeful and all the possibilities are a little more distant and fading than they used to be, right? Um, or going from life pre-pandemic to, dare I say, post-pandemic, right? Like it's just a different reality and things are a little less shiny and exciting, right? Um, going from seasons of energy and growth to seasons of pruning, and all of it can kind of cause us to say, like, man, what are we really doing here, right? We develop doubts. Um, we, we allow ourselves to, uh, to, to wrestle with questions that we've kind of always had, but we sort of stuff down, and when everything's exciting, you don't really wrestle, but when you're kind of left with the reality of things, you're saying, ah, I don't know. And so the call, I think, that, that Paul's uh, presenting to us here is God is the one who owns the mission, right? We have this ministry by the mercies of God. It's his, it belongs to him, and he's inviting us into it. And when that happens, I find so much rest in that, right? It's not, it's not on me to make this whole thing work, right? It's not on us to make this whole thing work. We don't have to prove to the world what a perfect church looks like. Thank the Lord for that, right? It's his mission. He's offering this healing and hope 
around the world. And I'll tell you, there's been some dark chapters in church history. So, you know, he set this thing in motion 2,000 years ago. And man, there's been times where I bet you'd look around and be like, there is not a single church in the entire universe that actually worships God the way that he desires to be worshipped. No, everybody hates the church. Like, times that would make now look like this shining beacon of how amazing the church is and Christianity is. In the midst of all that, God has always owned his mission, and he's always transformed lives, and he's always been this God that's shining light into darkness. And so the reminder for us is there's rest. There's trust that we can have in God. We can keep, and what this does is it keeps us from destroying the gospel and the mission by trying to change it into something that it's not so that it can be better received. And that's exactly what Paul goes on to say here. So the next couple verses, Paul says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So Paul is saying, man, we've, we've renounced these underhanded, um, um, these underhanded, disgraceful types of ways, okay? And so I think what he's calling us to do is he's saying, okay, there's this mission that's to be pursued, right? There's this thing that we're after that we're pursuing together. And he says, as we do that, he's, I think he's basically just like looking at the church and just saying, hey, stop being so clever, guys. Stop trying to strategize this so much. Stop, stop trying to get all these like things in place to make it work. And so in, in doing that, he's saying he's renouncing three things. First of all, He's renouncing disgraceful, underhanded ways. Um, so what does that mean? Disgraceful, like underhanded, like it, the, the word is actually crypto is the word. So it means like hidden or secret or maybe crooked kinds of things. And he's just saying like, we, we, we see the reception that the gospel gets, right? We see how people respond to it and we start thinking, you know what, maybe, maybe people aren't getting as excited about this as they used to be. And so what we do is we, we spice it up a little bit, right? We make it a little more palatable. We make it a little easier for people to get on board with, right? So he's renouncing these disgraceful, underhanded, I think I see like used car salesman tactics. He's renouncing that. The second thing is he's renouncing, he says we refuse to practice cunning, Right? cleverness, strategizing. We're getting rid of that. And then the third thing, this is so vital, he's saying we refuse to tamper with God's word. And man, that temptation is there, right? God's word says a lot of things that are beautiful and amazing. And then there's some stuff that's a little bit like, ow, like Jesus, you could have stated that a little softer, you know, like by that's a really, like that's a side of God that I'd really rather not lead with when I'm talking to people. And what that does is when we see those things and we see that side of God, what he allows or, or, or what he does or how he treats, like we, we kind of see that and we kind of cringe inside and we're like, okay, I'm just going to tweak this just a little bit or I'm going to cast it in a little bit better light and show everybody what it looks like from this angle. And Paul's just saying like, we cannot do that. We cannot look at who God is. We cannot look at the word of God and start talking about it like a used car salesman. It's all about making the sale. Whatever we have to tell somebody or change about it, we'll do it so that people can see what's so good here. Around the time that Paul was writing this, a little bit after Paul was writing this, there's this, um, this Greek writer named Lucian, and he, was, he basically compared the philosophers of his day, which he says are like used car salesmen, obviously not those words, um, the Greek, these philosophers, and then he says they're a lot like these wine merchants because the wine merchants would come and they would take their wine and they wanted to make more money off their wine, so they add some water to the wine to kind of water it down and they make a lot more money off of their wine by spreading it out like that. He's saying these philosophers do the same thing. They, they, they water it down, they make it easier, and then they, Paul's saying the same thing, like we're not going to be people that go around and try to introduce people to Jesus, but we first make him easier for everybody else to encounter. We can't water it down so we make more off of it or we make it more popular. 
It's almost like that, that friend that you have, and I, I, you'll deny it, but you have these friends that you kind of like try to make softer for the people around you, you know, for your other friends. You get that friend, like he's great, like you like him, he's a good guy, but like he'll always say the things that are like, like, like they're like hard for people to pout. So you, you try to soften him and apologize for him for other people. You guys all have that friend. I'm not going to name any names. Obviously, it's not me. And um, we have this, but I think we do that with God a lot of times, right? It's like, God is amazing in most ways, and then there's a few things about God that we're kind of embarrassed about, and so let's make it, let's make him look different, and Paul's just saying, don't do it. Don't do any of that. Just show Jesus for who he is, right? He doesn't need to be apologized for. He doesn't need to be explained. Anything that we would do to make him more palatable or more attractive to other people is just making the whole thing worse, and so Paul's saying, here's what we do instead. We simply, um, by the open statement of truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. It's just all about like, it's not marketing Jesus. It's not resolving the tension of a Jesus that we feel like has lost his popularity. It's just saying, like, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is who he is. This is how I find him to be. This is how I've experienced him in my life. And I'm simply pointing to that. And I'm telling you, man, when we do that, when we, when we step aside from the business of strategizing and thinking, okay, how are we going to tweak our lives or change our church so that we make everything more palatable to the next generation and to people— if we just let go of all that and we just say, we're going to let Jesus be who he is, we're going to find life in him ourselves, and we're going to invite people into that, once we do that, there's this huge weight, I think, that comes off of our shoulders, right? We don't have to be stressed, right? We can just say, this is who Jesus is. He's changed my life. He's spoken into my life. I've seen him. I've experienced him. And there's so much rest in that. Pastor Nathan talked about rest and Sabbath a couple weeks ago, and it's just such a good reminder that, that stepping aside, taking a day off, even though we can't afford it and we feel like there's, no, there's work to be done that won't get done, it's a reminder to ourselves that, I mean, God is the one who's working ultimately, right? And he uses us and he invites us into the work that he's doing, but God's the one that's doing the work. And so I can't, not only can I afford to rest, I have to rest because I'm weak and I'm limited. And this reminds me that God is the one that's working. And so the, the, the call for us is that ministry is actually really simple. We can stop being clever we can stop trying to figure this out. As we go out just to try to show people Jesus, that's literally all we're doing. It's just we're pointing to him and allowing people to see him and trying to remove anything that hinders people from that. Francis Schaeffer is like one of my heroes, and um, I love him. He's like a theologian and like sort of like an amateur philosopher. But anyway, he, his whole thing was um, he liked to give honest answers for honest questions. So he would, he would talk to like, college students back in like the 70s and 80s and stuff. And he talked to them and basically he's like, there's no question that we need to be afraid of as Christians. But people ask honest questions, let's give them honest answers. And I, I love that because it's not about all this extra training. It's not about all this extra strategizing. It's not about manipulation. It's just like, ask me a question, I'll give you an answer. Even if that answer is, I don't know, right? It just invites us into something that is a simple statement of the truth. Just a simple way to view it and experience it. It would be so much better if all of our ministry stepped back from all the heavy programmatic elements, all of the big like achievement, accomplishment, marketing, um, step at a time, like build, 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 build. If we just step back and said, what if ministry was just simple and we invited people to experience Jesus and to find that life in him? One of the things I'm excited about is um, uh, Lisa McDonald, our, our student ministries director, and Alyssa Berge, who's a member of our church. They're, they're doing this Saturday a parenting cohort. And basically the idea with it, it's a parents R&R um, day. And it's like, a, it's like a morning set aside to just say like, hey, parents, come. You're exhausted. Come. And what we're going to do is 
train you to be better parents, not by filling your head with all kinds of information, although they are going to help us process all that, but like come and rest and let's come and worship and let's be reminded that parenting is ultimately about seeing Jesus and helping our kids to see Jesus and ideally keeping the kids alive while we do that, you know, um, throughout the course of our life. Like it just simplifies the whole thing and just says, you know what, all the strategies and all the weight that we feel as parents to get it right and follow this strategy or this approach, we can let it aside and just say, hey, I'm just trying to experience Jesus and help my kids do the same thing. Now, here's the obstacle that we're against. Paul talks about in the next couple verses. Verse 3. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul is saying here, like, we're just giving an open statement of the truth. We're helping people to see who Jesus is. We're just going to lay him out there and see how people respond to that. But he says what happens is as we do that, there is the, the God of this age he's talking about. It's, it's, it's Satan. It's the devil. He's like the prince of demons. And so he's saying he's there. And what he's trying to do is set up a veil, like block people's view from seeing who Jesus really is. And that is a sobering, kind of scary reminder. It's also a great reminder of this is what he's about. This is what he's after. He's trying to keep people from seeing the light of Jesus. And what I think the reminder in this is, is if you go like, man, when I was in seminary and pretty much everyone that's gone to seminary, the whole thing, you read all the books and you talk about church growth, right? That's what it's about. How do we get the church to grow? And you can do all of these strategies to make your church grow, but I'm struck by the fact that you could do everything in the church growth canon to make your church grow, and none of those are the things that Satan is interested in stopping. Satan doesn't give a rip what we do for church growth. What Satan wants to do is stop people from seeing the face of Jesus. Stop people from seeing the light that's in Jesus. So do whatever we want. Make our churches grow big. Like get busy with religious activity. Do all of it. The only thing Satan cares about is don't let people see Jesus as he truly is. And so he's talking about this veil that comes up. That's what he's trying to stop. And the thing itself, um, Paul like uses all these words. This is, um, he, he gives us a prepositional parade. And I just want you guys to appreciate, I don't do alliteration often, but here it is, okay? I'm a real preacher. Paul's prepositional parade looks like this. Satan wants to keep people from seeing what? Seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so what he's doing is he's walking through this and he's saying like, like we see a light, okay? There's this light that's shining. And, and remember for Paul, Paul was like persecuting the church. He was murdering Christians. And then he had this encounter on the road to Damascus where God shone this light from heaven and he was blinded and fell off his horse and had this encounter with Jesus. So he's comparing it to that. We see this light. And what is the light? The light is this announcement of a good news, the gospel, right? What is the good news? The good news is the appearance of something that is glorious. And what is it that's so glorious? He says, that's Christ. And who is Christ? He is the image of God. And so the whole idea is just saying, like, this is it. Satan does not want you to see Jesus, who is the very image of God. He doesn't want us to see Jesus because he is this glory that's radiating out from that. We see that in this glorious announcement of this good news. It's the light that's shining on us. And so that's the whole call is just seeing Jesus as he is and getting past the veil and the ways that we're unable to see Jesus as he truly is. So I had, a, I had a, like a great experience a couple years ago. This was, yeah, probably, probably like two, two and a half years ago. And uh, my license expired, and so I got to go to the DMV to, um, to renew it. And I will say DMV, like, it was actually a great DMV experience. But here's what happened. So to fill out the form and say, like, 
hair color, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking I had just sort of given up on hair and went like this, and I'm like, bald is an option. I'm like, if that's not for me, who's it for? Check. All right, bald. <clears throat> and then I get to the eye station, okay? And I've, I've always had just incredible eyesight, you know? And uh, I get there, and I'm reading the chart, and I couldn't do it. I got like a few lines in, and I couldn't do it. And, uh, and it was my realization, like, oh, my goodness, I, I can't see? Like, what, what's when, I can't see what's happening? And so it's like disconcerting, so I, I get my glasses, and I'm telling you, the first time that I popped those glasses on, it was like, man, the world is high definition. It's incredible, and I had no idea that I was missing out on it, you know? It was like, um, I remember thinking, like, our TVs in the house, like, they're like, man, they're kind of, like, getting out of focus. This is weird, you know? And then the glasses, bam, man, this is an amazing TV, you know? Um, and walking outside and seeing, like, leaves on trees. I had forgotten that that was, like, a thing, you know? And so it's just like this this simple thing, right? I was just living my life assuming that I saw everything perfectly, right? And then, and then, okay, here's the, oh my goodness, I can actually see clear. I think that's the idea that he's giving us here, right? This moment where we go through life and everything makes sense and we get frustrated and whatever and we're, you know, having headaches or whatever. And then all of a sudden someone hands us a pair of glasses or as Paul's saying, pulls away the veil. And it's like, oh my goodness, I, this moment of light, this moment of realization of seeing that is who Jesus is, Right? He's not just the Sunday school lesson that I had growing up. He's not just the person that's being paraded around by politicians and whatever. Like, he is a person that when we see him, we can't unsee him, right? When we see him, he's beautiful. When we see him, he's so tender and compassionate and gentle to us. He's so forgiving and gracious and, and challenging at the same time. And we see him, and it's like then we see him everywhere, right? In every bit of life and everything that we do, we begin to see more and more of Jesus. And so it's like this veil is pulled back. And the invitation, I think, that Paul's describing here is we get to be the people. Our ministry is simply open statement of truth. Just tell people what you've experienced in Jesus. Spend your life experiencing him and then tell people about that. And unfortunately, I think in church, very often, the church has been complicit in building veils rather than removing veils. And so Satan is the one who's veiling the eyes of people to keep them from seeing Jesus. But I think Satan is all too happy to uh, join with us, partner with us, or have us do the work for him of building veils. And I think over the years that's looked like things like the hypocrisy in the church, right? And we see so many times throughout church history, but I feel like especially recently you see there's like, there's like child molestation happening in the church. And our churches, rather than being grieved and falling on our knees and saying like, Lord, forgive us, the churches are covering it up, and they're, they're hiding it, right? And there's like these power structures, and how do we keep the people in power? And people are making money off of the gospel, and all these things are just these veils that we put up, and we're saying, okay, don't see Jesus clearly. The important thing is that we keep our institutions and our power the way that they should be. And man, we've been so complicit in that. We as like the church as a whole, and the call is just for us to say, okay, who cares about our institutions? Who cares how anybody views me? Like I, the pro- mistake we made was in claiming that, that pastors, preachers, priests were anything special to begin with, right? And so laying it down and saying, hey, I'm imperfect. And Paul's going to go into in the next verses that we talk about next week, talking about how imperfect and broken we are as humans. And so if we could just come with that and just say, hey, I'm as broken as any of you. And man, when I fall into sin, I'm going to do my best to just confess that before the Lord and we'll move on together. Whatever that means, we want people to see the gospel, the glory of Christ, it, it can't be about some hypocrisy and protecting ourselves. It can't be about, like, we've changed the plot so often into this, like, political thing that it's not meant to be, this partisan politics. Um, we've, we've created, like, an entertainment gospel where everything's exciting and good and big and flashy, and it's not about that, and it's not about the personality cults that we've made it to be. It's simply us 
just stepping back and saying, okay, we are just servants of this God who is so glorious, and all we want to do is just speak openly and honest about who he is and help people to see him for who he is. I mean, that is the beautiful calling that we get. And here's how Paul ends this little section that we're going to look at this morning, and it's amazing. Verse 5, he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So here Paul is dipping back intentionally into the creation narrative, and he's creating a new creation narrative, okay? So he's intentionally reaching back to Genesis where there was nothing that existed, right? Everything's just black and chaotic and just void. There's no shape or form. And in the middle of that, God's voice comes pouring out and says, let there be light. And this nothingness, this nothing that exists, responds to God's commanding voice. And and when God says, let there be light, nothing responds, and there's suddenly light in the midst of that darkness, right? It's God's work of creation when nothing existed, and he makes it exist just by speaking it. And Paul's saying, that is the very thing that's happening now, right? God sits there, and he speaks over a group of people that are all veiled, and we can't see, and we're all frustrated and lost, and we don't know, and we're sitting in this darkness, and God speaks to our hearts and says, let there be light, and suddenly this light shines in our hearts, and we can see Jesus for who he is, and life begins to make sense, and things click into place, and life is still messy and hard and broken, and we still fall apart all the time, and Paul will acknowledge that, but we see this appearance of Christ. We've been awakened to this presence, and it's beautiful. Paul gives us a second prepositional parade in here, okay? And what he says, okay, the God who says, let light shine in darkness has shown in our hearts to give what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So many prepositions that he's building up, all simply to say this. Jesus Christ is sitting there. When we look in the face of Jesus, we see this glory of God, and that glory of God gives us this knowledge that he's describing as this light. So he's just saying, man, the whole thing is look in the face of Jesus, and you see the glory of God. And I'm telling you, I was reading this this week. I've been familiar with this passage. I love it. I was reading it this week, and I'm like, Paul got this like exactly backwards. Like he's totally upside down with it, because this is what I always think. You look at Jesus, okay, and you take sweet little baby Jesus in the manger. You take older Jesus who's like going to the cross and he's, he's humble. He's like gentle. He's self-sacrificing, right? It, he's like a human being, okay, in these spaces. And I look at Jesus and where do I see the glory of Jesus? It's in my reminder that Jesus himself is actually God, right? So how do I know that Jesus is glorious? I look at God the Father and I'm reminded, okay, yeah, Jesus didn't look like much, but he was God. And so there's his glory, right? But Paul is saying the exact opposite. And he's saying, how do you see the glory of God? Like, how do we know that God is glorious and good and and transcendent and all these things? How do we know the glory of God? We look into the face of Jesus Christ. It's so backwards for my mind, which just shows how poor my understanding of who Jesus is. The fact that if we want to see God's glory, we look into a human face. And the human face looks like Jesus. The Jesus who was willing to get on his hands and knees and wash the feet of his disciples. The Jesus who was willing to go up to lepers who are outcasts in their society and touch them and heal them, right? The Jesus who is willing to go to a woman at the well outcast by society and invest his time in her. If you want to know how glorious and amazing God is, how worthy of worship and praise he is, look in the face of Jesus, Paul's saying. And we do that, we see what God is really like. 
It's not that we know what Jesus is really like by looking at God the Father. He's saying we know what God is really like by looking in the face of Jesus and we understand his heart for the broken and for the lost. We see his compassionate love for us. We see him calling us into something deeper and more beautiful. And man, this is just such a call for us to to get it right, to see Jesus and to let that define everything. Now, how does Paul want us to respond? I skipped over verse 5, and this is where he wants us to respond. What we proclaim, he says, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, the thing that we have to stop doing in the church, that I think we've been doing, church as a whole in America at least, is we've been proclaiming ourselves. Whether ourselves as individuals or ourselves as like churches and church brands and denominations and all these kinds of things, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. N.T. Wright is this theologian um, that, I, that I love, and he, he talked about an experience where he, um, he was going to meet the CEO of this company, and he had met her somewhere or something like that, but he, he was going to, to meet her, so he's in the waiting room, and then a woman comes out to, like, bring him back, and so he's like, oh, so glad to meet you, like he thought it was the CEO, but it was just the receptionist, you know, that's walking him back to meet the CEO, and when he got in, he's like, oh, oh, yeah, this is the one I'm really here to meet, Right? And he says, what happens is, that's us in the church very often, is we, we are just the messenger, right? Just the person that takes people from the waiting room and introduces them to the CEO, to the boss, right? But what happens so often is we keep people in the waiting room thinking that being with us and seeing us and us being important, feeling important, is the point of it. He's saying, no, no, no. We are just servants, right? We're just here to introduce people to Jesus. And so who cares about the brand of Creekside Church, right? Who cares about like how great any one of us are at any given thing, right? Who cares how we look to the people around us? I think somehow the Christian life or church life has become about let's look a certain way, let's present it a certain way, let's be appealing and attractive and all that. And I think the point is just to say, okay, let's, let's take that weight off of our shoulders. And we don't have to be anything. We don't have to accomplish anything. We don't have to impress anybody. All we do is we just sit there and we look at, like, in our own hearts, we want to find that life in Jesus, and we want to look at the people around us and just say, how do I invite them to experience what I've experienced? How do I introduce the people around me to who Jesus is? Just speaking openly about who he is. And man, there's just so much freedom in that. There's this calmness that comes with that. And as I've been thinking, you know, this season has just been nuts, and I keep feeling like, okay, we're almost done with this hard season. Life's going to be great again. And, you know, how many times have we said, like, almost, or, you know, I mean, we locked down March of 2020 for two weeks, you know, like, LOL, you know, and we just had no idea what was coming, and and how angry we'd get, and how angry, well, like, what we'd be angry about, and, and like, for what reasons, and um, so I feel like, I feel like we've been in a spot where we're just like really white knuckled, you know? And we have been for a long time. We're like holding onto that wheel and we're just like, we're, you know, it's like we're driving through that storm and it's just like everything is so intense and our, all of our energy is focused and we're like, I just gotta get through this thing. And we're white knuckled, I think, a lot of times because the voices that we've been listening to, all of this that's happening matters way too much to those voices. And it has to because that's the only hope they have, right? If we can only get everybody vaccinated, we're gonna be fine. Or if we can only keep everybody from getting vaccinated, we'll be fine, right? If we can only, uh, you know, elect Joe Biden or if we can only elect Donald Trump, like everything will be fine. If we can just get society back to this point, if I can just get the church back to that point and every, all the voices we're listening to, it all matters so much because that is the answer to everything. And we've been listening to these voices and so we've been clinging on so hard and we're just trying to ride through the storm. We're just like, we're gonna get there, we're gonna get there, we're gonna get there. 
And I feel like our bodies and our souls and our minds, we're just like exhausted, right? And we can't hold on that much longer. And, and I, I just love this. Here's Paul just saying, hey, you're just, you're just servants of God. And he's just mercifully given you like this gift, this ministry of just being able to see the light of Jesus and, and just pointing that to the people around you, right? Just help them to see. And so that, help, that helps us let go of our grips, right? Let the white out of our knuckles, and we can just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, but I'm going to rest, right? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful, but I'm not going to try to be the Messiah, right? And I can just carry on. I can work for all the things in this world that matter, but I can do it in a way that trusts that, hey, there's a God that's got this. And I'm just going to tell you, like, none of us knows what to do with, with what's going on. And I, I, like, I used a couple of silly examples. There's, there's a lot of you in here that, like, um, I mean, a bunch of you have been sick, okay? Um, a bunch of you are about to get sick, and you don't know it yet. Um, uh, a bunch of you are having financial troubles or are about to have financial troubles. Like, there's, there's, there's relational troubles that we've all been having, right? And there's a lot of you in this room that, like, that stuff is like the least of your worries, right? There's like bigger diagnoses. There's bigger life things that are just crushing and weighing down. And I just want to say like to all of us, like, hey, I, I know that we're tired. Like I feel it. I've got good moments and bad moments. I feel, I know we're tired. I know we're sick. I know we're navigating stuff in a way that's just so hard. And, and for those of us as parents, like we don't know what in the world we're doing and we're trying to make it okay for our kids. It's just so hard and we don't know, right? But the call is simply this. Let's rest in the Lord. He's got this. He knows. None of this taken by surprise in the slightest. He knows he's got this. And so we can just walk with him in so much grace, finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. That is a restful mission that I can take on. Yeah, right? It is. It's amazing. And I can do that and you can do that and we can know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. We're literally promised that. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Every little bit of it matters. And so, you know, it does, it, like nothing about our mission, nothing about our values says anything about how smooth our life circumstances are going to be. But we can just go. We don't have to be stressed about what happens. And, um, and our mission is meant to be inherently life-giving. I mean, it's literally in the statement. So um, the way we're, what we're going to do, so we're, the next week um, we'll dive into Paul, this, the whole section where Paul talks about how we have this treasure in these jars of clay, like this beautiful reminder of how broken we are and how little that matters to what God wants to do in the world. He uses us intentionally like that. Um, and we're just going to kind of sit in that for the next few weeks. Then we're going to get into um, Advent and, and just digging into this miracle of the incarnation, just Jesus coming in all this weakness and humility. And just what a, what a beautiful, restful reminder that is. So as the season ramps up, and as you, you guys all get sick in different ways, we're going to be cool. We're going to be fine. We're going to be able to rest and just remember who the Lord is and what he's calling us into. And the way that we're going to remember that and process that right now is we're going to take uh, communion together.